This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Small Biz America. The Brain. Gary Hirschberg is the chairman, president, and CEO, that's yo as in yogurt, of Stonyfield Farm, the world's leading organic yogurt producer and the author of Stirring It Up, How to Make Money and Save the World from 2008 on Hyperion Books. Gary's a frequent speaker on topics including sustainability, climate change, the profitability of green and socially responsible business, organic agriculture, and sustainable economic development. He's won many, many awards. The list is much too long to go into here, but he joins us on the line from Stonyfield Farm headquarters in Londonderry, New Hampshire, to share, among other things, how he continues to create this balance of making money, running a business, operating sustainably, profits with a promise, I like to call that. Gary Hirschberg, welcome to the program. Nice to be here, David. Thank you. Take us back. It's 1983, and this seven-cow organic farming school called Stonyfield is operating. How did you first stir all this up, and what what did the early days look like? How did a school ultimately develop into a business? Yeah, good question. Uh, And we certainly didn't have a clue ourselves at the time. It was, um, you know, we were basically a victim of Reagan budget cuts. Uh, I was actually the trustee of the school, the organic farming school. I was also so the director of my own NGO, uh, which was working on organic and um, uh, renewable energy issues and sustainability issues. And in any case, uh, uh, the, the, the winds blowing out of Washington were not favorable for our segments. Uh, all, all funding was being cut, whether it was at the National Science Foundation or DOE or USDA. And so most of us in the nonprofit world were either folding our tents or scrambling. Uh, in my case, my partner... Samuel, who was then the director of the school, used to feed us trustees a very delicious uh, organic yogurt at every meeting and, of course, at every class and workshop. All the students got to enjoy the same stuff from his, uh, at that point, one cow, in fact. And uh, one one meeting on one winter day, we uh, came up with this boneheaded idea of starting to sell yogurt as a way of funding the school as an alternative to to grants. Um, neither of us had any real business experience. I, I had been running nonprofits uh, and was quite good at, at, on the fundraising front, 
but uh, the disciplines of making, marketing, selling, et cetera, were pretty, let alone distribution, were, were foreign to us. And I often, uh, and of course, let's not forget this was yogurt, which very few people understood, and organics, which even less people understood. So I often joke about those days that we had a, a great company, just no supply and no demand. <laughs> well, I love that. Was there a sense early on that, I mean, obviously, uh, the core was this nonprofit, so I guess there was a social response responsibility uh, um, attached at the core. Do I have that oh, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, the core, the core belief uh, uh, was that uh, the modern food system and uh, really the, our modern ways of living uh, in relation to the earth were um, f- deeply flawed by a whole bunch of myths, um, among them that the earth is sort of infinitely resilient to handle whatever we heap on it, but also um, just this idea that, that uh, we could just keep on taking and taking and taking and that, you know, whether it's family farmers or the planet or our children, they're, they're a necessary part of the uh, any commercial transaction was that somebody had to give, somebody had to lose, someone had to be taken from. Yes. Uh, they were takers and givers. And the, 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 in hindsight, and I don't pretend that I had this thought well thought out at the time, we were kind of, you know, taking it one step at a time. But in hindsight, what I realized we were asking ourselves, which is very much, I think, at the heart of this whole slow money uh, movement is, um, is it possible to create a, a, a commercial uh, entity in which every everybody, all the stakeholders win, uh, the farmers, the employees, the animals, the consumers, the shareholders, and, and our children? And, and, and I can tell you now, we had our 27th birthday a week ago, Friday. I, I can tell you, looking back, that the answer is unequivocally yes. We, at Stonyfield, we have... Um, we now support 1,800 uh, organic family farmers who are not just surviving, but they're profiting from, uh, particularly in relation to conventional farmers. Uh, the animals uh, are all uh, treated humanely. All there's no feedlots in our system. They're all, they all have access to. Uh, uh, the outdoors and to pasture and so forth. Uh, they're not obviously treated with hormones or antibiotics or uh, other drugs. Uh, the consumer wins with uh, uh, having a pesticide-free, uh, chemical-free, highly nutritious and delicious food. The employees win because they've had. Uh, we've never had a layoff in our company's history, even through the recession. The shareholders have, have won handily, uh, and 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 ultimately, uh, you know, we're fun, we're. We're um, managing or buying our goods from 180,000 acres of chemical-free land, air, uh, land, land and water uh, where, again, uh, our children ultimately win because we're literally avoiding the use of, of billions uh, over time now, billions of pounds of uh, toxic and pernicious uh, chemicals. So. Um, we have taken the lessons of Stonyfield over these decades, and again, we had to learn them. So I, I don't pretend we had it all together for a long, long time uh, any more than we have it all together now. But we've certainly learned that it is absolutely reasonable to expect that uh, commerce can be about everybody winning and no one having to uh, lose or give, give something up. Gary, as you look at 27 years and 24% year over year, if I have that number right, as you advise other corporations that are uh, in a growth trajectory similar to yours and are looking to do 
uh, and operate the way you do in the sustainable ways and all the related ways that you give back uh, to farmers or what have you. What are the markers that you suggest they look for? And I, and I guess I'm speaking not so much to the top line, which is a whole different conversation, but but maybe the internal. How does it change the internal economics of of a, of a yogurt company? Yeah. Well. First of all, uh, I think one has to uh, recognize that the largest parts of our impacts are actually not what we do within, in our case, our factory walls or our company's office walls. It's actually our supply chains. It's what we buy. Um, you know, it's not the distance, for example, that we ship goods. It's it's how they're grown back where they are grown, wherever they're grown. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, whether you're in an agricultural enterprise or any other kind of enterprise, uh, your purchase dollar, what you're buying, what you're bringing in, is the place where you can leverage uh, the most good or, or conversely, obviously, do the most bad if you're unconscious. And so we uh, recommend, and, and, and in our own company, we have 10 teams. They're called the MAP teams. It's our mission action plan. Um, they have been organized around our 10 largest carbon footprints, but as it turns out, they're also our 10 largest ecological footprints. And these teams uh, are kind of instituted with the, with the, with the belief that uh, this uh, true sustainability cannot be achieved from the corner office just because the boss says so. Uh, it's, it's a matter of everyday little, little decisions. You know, I often say that the, the big problems we have in the world in terms of toxicity and climate change and global um, Epidemics of of, of uh, you know various ecological and health sorts are, are we got into them through small steps and that's really how we're going to get out and so what the ten teams do they're organized around things like our logistics our transportation our packaging our water use uh, it also turns out that these are not coincidentally the places where uh, one can achieve the greatest financial savings or returns when you when you focus across dis- disciplinary team on for example logistics. And so just to give you a punchline, uh, the last three years, these MAP teams have generated $7.6 million uh, to our bottom line of, of real savings. Uh, many of these folks will tell you, when I when we first commissioned the teams, they thought, you know, quite a lot of them, I'm, I'm in New Hampshire, it's not exactly a progressive place, there's a lot of uh, libertarian views here, and, and many thought that the whole conversation about climate change, for example, was just some sort of, you know, Al Gore love fest or conspiracy or some, something, and, and, you know, they were not true believers in the ecological issues, but they, 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 they recognized the economic opportunities. Yes. And, and, and so the reality is, is that uh, we, we sort of dispense with the emotions and the ethics and the moral and the, uh, morals and the lectures. We just say, look, this is about efficiency and effectiveness. And who's going to argue with the fact that if we use less water or less energy or have a, a smaller uh, carbon footprint that we're not only going to get savings, but uh, we also have um, the, the likelihood that we're going to leave our kids with a little bit better deal than they would otherwise get. We're visiting with Gary Hirschberg. He's the CEO of Stonyfield Farm, that website, www.stonyfield.com. How do you think about the marketing of the work you do 
you've got this international brand out there. What part does marketing or the messaging play? Well, that's a great question because it gets to, I think, the heart of what we have learned and I can share in hindsight. Uh, first of all, our marketing or our communications is, of course, not unlike all consumer products, everything. Uh, but um, the, 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 if you just stop for a second and think about conventional and traditional commerce, uh, the, 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 the traditional approach is make your goods as cheap as you possibly can so you have a big margin left that you can spend to buy a lot of advertising to blast people with reach and frequency and lots and lots of messages so they're sort of seeing you even when their eyes are closed or their ears are closed. Sure. And, and, and the, the reality is, is that that whole pyramid, that whole notion of marketing, of, of blasting people with messages, is, is based on the foundation of having a cheap product. And, of course, with cheapness come shortcuts, and with shortcuts come all the different insults to our planet and our bodies. Uh, in our case, uh, we don't use modified food starches and gelatins and all kinds of artificial things that can definitely make uh, products cheaper but not necessarily good for you. We don't buy milk, as I mentioned, from cows on feedlots. That is a cheap way of getting high productivity. We don't allow the use of synthetic growth hormones. So when, when you're committed to not buying cheap or putting it in the more positive, when you're committed to rewarding farmers properly, paying them the right price for their hard work and for improving the quality, not just the quantity of their outputs, you can't engage in that whole advertising pyramid. And so what happens is you have to find other ways of communicating because, in effect, the product becomes your marketing. So for Stonyfield, um, we have, uh, and folks can go to our website and see, but we have uh, an endless, endless, really infinite array of things that we do that really don't cost what traditional advertisers would spend. I, uh, to put it in simple terms, we spend about one-eighth or one-tenth of what the leading brand yogurt brands spend uh, as a percentage of their sales. Wow. Um, but we're still the number three brand in the country, and we're growing faster than all of them. We're going much faster than the category. And uh, what happens here, to cut to the punchline, is that um, – in the end, we really believe that uh, that uh, loyalty is the holy grail of consumer products, and loyalty comes from an emotional connection. And loyalty is more likely you're, you're more likely to achieve loyalty if you're actually doing, not just talking about. Uh, you're doing the right thing. We call it having a low talk do ratio. And and what that means is that you know we're very transparent about uh, what we do well and what we don't do well in terms of reducing our carbon footprint, in terms of our farmer support. But at a very kind of base level, you can go online right now and have see my have my farmers blogging with you, or one of them has a cow cam, literally a little flip camera on the farm. You can adopt a cow and 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 get uh, e e emails or even tweets from the cows talking about what's going on up there. <laughs> You can, I love um, that. you know, we you can go to YouTube, our our site where we have, uh, you know, our version of YouTube. Lots and lots of short viral films that explain what's really going on where the strawberries are grown or the sugar is grown, and essentially we we kind of close the gap between consumers and 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 where their food is produced and how we do our thing and, and make ourselves transparent. And while we don't win as many exposures on an everyday basis. I think what happens is for people who are concerned about their health and the health of the planet, we win more lasting uh, support because, again, we're just 
people having an honest conversation with other people. And that, that's how we view marketing. As we move to the close of this segment, I did want to talk about the work at Slow Money, Woody Tash and uh, his team is doing. Uh, talk a little, to me a little bit about, about local. You've got a national, international brand. You've pointed to it a little bit with the, your relationship with your supply chain. How, how does this come down to the, the, the earth and to local communities, this localization of economies? Yeah, well, it, 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 I, I I'll tell you, uh, first of all, let me say that my, my primary uh, interest in slow money and support for Woody's work has more to do with how we financed ourselves. We bootstrapped. As you might imagine, we were unable to find much common ground with uh, venture capitalists over our uh, years, and, and it's because of patient capital that I'm able to be here talking to you today. So I, I really believe at the heart of what Woody's doing is, is trying to raise the consciousness of the investment side. But mm. specific to local, um, you know, I think... I'm, my own background is actually as a climate scientist, and I happen to know, as I alluded a few moments ago, that if if that obviously if you can ever buy much or any of your foods local and locally and organically, then then we should all be doing that. And my family's members of our CSA and our food bank. Uh, we support our food bank and our co-op and so forth. But the reality is, from an ecological point of view, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about local. The, the, the percentage of our food of our footprint tied up in shipping uh, of anything, and I don't care whether it's milk or strawberries or blueberries, um, is de minimis compared to what the foot, to the footprint of how it's grown. Mm. And so, uh, what I believe, slow money in the forum that Woody and team have created gives us an opportunity to do is to have real evidence-based, fact-based discussions. To put it very simply, it may be more ecological to buy uh, organic uh, crops from far distant places uh, who are putting less toxins into the biosphere than uh, to buy a conventional non-organic crop that is produced locally. And we need to have those discussions. We need to be evidence-based, not just emotional. And, And that's why I look forward to being part of their forums. What do you hope to communicate uh, to the group that will be gathered there to listen to you as you speak to the Slow Money Alliance? Well, I, I would say two things that I talk about quite frequently. One, um, many of the problems that we are trying to address at Stonyfield and in this whole movement and that I've been working on for 30 years have, have, have not only worsened over these three decades despite all of our good efforts, but actually we're now running out of time, whether it's climate change or toxins or the need for uh, or, or, or water use or the decline of family farmers. Uh, we need to ratchet up and expedite. Uh, our solutions, uh, the implementation of our solutions. And that means we have to talk seriously about scale uh, and, and, and effectiveness. And so I hope to talk a lot about that. And secondly, um, that, uh, again, what I said a moment ago, that it's important that we bring uh, data, uh, not just emotions, to the table as we talk about this stuff, that that uh, when one looks at uh, the real uh pivot points, the real places where we can make a big difference. And look, just this month at what's going on, we're having you know overt failures of the oil industry and the coal industry when you look at the mining accidents. And, and we all know there's a, you know nuclear problems uh, around us. We've got to really think in a very, very deep and different way about these problems. But we also, we who, who recognize that, that there needs to be a, a completely different way of thinking about the solutions to these problems, we need to get on with it. And we need to get on with 
with it in a in a way that's fact based, so we don't get hung up and you know partisan d- d- debates about you know scale, loca- local versus distant, the, the, these kinds of distractions. The, the 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 really central issue is we need to think differently, but we need to demonstrate uh, strong economic models, whether they're small and local or or large and international. But we need sound economic models now to uh, sort of bring the doubters into line. The work you're doing is so important, and, and I want to thank you for joining us on this segment. You'll be speaking at the Slow Money Alliance event that's scheduled for June 9th through the 11th at Shelburne Farms. And for information about that, folks, you can go to slowmoneyalliance.org or Google Slow Money Alliance. You'll get the information there. Gary will be speaking there, among others. Gary Hirschberg, thank you so much for joining us on this program. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Small Biz America. The Brain. Online at smallbizamerica.com. Small Biz. Small Biz America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>